Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios in Midtown, right, on, right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. As always, we have lots of Braves and lots of baseball talk. And, Corey, we have arrived at the All-Star break, so we've got a whole lot to cover as Atlanta will have a bit of a break, as will all 30 teams. But the Braves also sent quite an All-Star contention out to Los Angeles, so we've still got a lot to get into this week. Yeah, a huge cast of Braves going to be out there in L.A. and uh, another one added in Austin Riley. So this is going to be an absolute blast to see these guys out there showing out against the, the best of the best in the majors right now. Yeah, it'll be an awful lot of fun. We will wrap up, of course, the weekend in Washington as the Braves take three out of four. We'll wrap up the first half for the Braves and set the stage for what's going into the second half. Talk a little bit of All-Star and take a look around the big leagues. Those are all the things we do here on From the Diamond. And if you want to keep up with everything we're doing, you can follow us on social media. I am at Grant McCauley. Corey is at Corey J. McCartney, both of those on Twitter. You can find the show on Twitter as well, at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end. And make sure you subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. With all that out of the way, let's talk about what was for the Atlanta Braves here as they closed out the first half. They took three out of four in Washington, Corey. Uh, not the note they wanted to go out on on Sunday, obviously. Spencer Strider had a bit of a rough start. Uh, the home plate umpire had a bit of a rough day behind the plate. And the Braves' offense wasn't quite able to overcome the Washington Nationals. But by and large, when you look at a club that's 18 games over 500, uh, uh, which is a mark that they did not reach at all in 2021, let me point that out, they have a manageable deficit against the New York Mets with 12 head-to-head meetings left to go between these two teams. Corey, I think the Braves are in a pretty good spot, all things considered. That is the biggest point right there that you made. Uh, obviously, they lose. The Mets lose in the last day of the first half. The deficit is two and a half games, 12 more matchups. I mean, it, everything that you think about that went into June and, and going from 10 and a half games all the way down to one and a half going into that big matchup this last week at, at, uh, at Truist Park. Uh, th- I mean, what lies ahead is going to be can't miss, and I really hope it goes all the way up until that September 30th through October 2nd meeting at City Field because I think, I mean, that it, it could just be perfect to see this thing go down to the wire between two teams that you know have looked great and look like they're both going to bulk up uh, and get ready for that stretch run and it appears to be a renewal of this rivalry it seems like the Braves rival it cycles just a little bit I mean sometimes it's the Phillies sometimes it's the Nationals sometimes it's the Mets and apparently all the time it feels like it's the Marlins because those two teams don't like each other but for one reason or another you know things have cycled but the Braves have kind of been the constant over the last four years in terms of fighting for the division crown beginning in 2018 when this club came out of the rebuild and won its first we saw a lot of the players who were still central to Atlanta's core becoming stars and now becoming all-stars this year in a lot of cases when you talk about what Dansby Swanson has done in a year that has made him, I think, the Braves' most valuable player to this point. And, of course, some of the other big performances here in this first half that we're going to talk an awful lot about. But when it comes to All-Stars, I mean, let's talk about the big news of the weekend. 
We knew the Braves were sending five guys to Los Angeles to be part of the National League squad, but then we found out there would be number six, and that is Austin Riley. And I don't know if anybody of all of the snubs that we talked about over the past week or so, week or two, or anybody that just hadn't been added to either league's roster deserved it as much or more than Austin Riley did. He's been on an absolute tear through the month of July. I mean, you think about what he's been able to accomplish. He's now riding a 13-game hitting streak. Uh, you know, you look back since July 5th, and he's hitting you know over 400 during that stretch. Um, you know, ended the first half on an absolute tear. You know, 157, a weighted run created plus, nearly 20 percent higher than a year ago when he had his breakout. He's a 3-5. Fangraph war player right now, clearly going to outpace last year's 4-7, and I think this is worth noting. The Braves record for third baseman Chipper Jones in 2008 at 7-1. Uh, I think I think Austin Riley is going to be making a run down here at Chipper Jones uh, for just a, you know, it, I mean, just a monster season. I can't wait to see where this thing goes. Yeah, it should be pretty exciting. And when you look at the major league home run leaders, you find Austin Riley third on that list. Aaron Judge has 33. Kyle Schwarber leads the National League. He's got 29 for the Phillies. Judge, of course, with the Yankees. Then you find Austin Riley, one ahead of Jordan Alvarez. This is some pretty good company to be in if you're Austin. And he's hit, what, nine home runs here in the month of July to push himself up into that upper echelon of sluggers across all of baseball. And 27 home runs is the most pre-All-Star break for a player in Braves uh, in recent Braves history, one off of Andres Galarraga's team record, but the most that anybody for a, a Braves hitter, as far as that's concerned, has had since 2005. And Andrew Jones was the guy that year, and all he did was set the single-season home run record for the club with 51. So to make a long story very short, very good company that you find Austin Riley in, a list that includes the likes of Hank Aaron, Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones, and more. I kind of wish Ronald Acuna Jr. could just tap out and give Austin Riley his spot in the home run derby because I think if there was going to be a Brave that you yeah. wanted to see there right now, this is the guy you and – and, and we'll get into a little bit more of what it could mean for Acuna to be a part of this. Uh, but I think the way that Riley has been going deep, I would love to see him get this opportunity because I think as hot as Kyle Schwarber has been, uh, he just absolutely is matching that power right now. I would love to see him get a chance in that home run derby. It has been, and we talked about this – you know, the the tear that Austin Riley's been on this month. And the Braves have needed uh, different guys at different times to step up. And we're going to talk a lot about who in the first half has been the Braves' most valuable player. I might have already said his name here on the show, but we'll get to it again a little bit more later. But there is not a wide margin between any player on the Braves' roster and Austin Riley if you do start making cases for most valuable player for the Braves this year. You mentioned his wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs. Well, look at some of the records for Braves third baseman and look at some of the records for, I think, the the home run exploits in Atlanta history anyway. Austin Riley and a 40-home run season, those are not things that happen a ton for Braves hitters as they've moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta beginning in 1966. And that, again, you start looking at a list that includes, what, Hank Aaron, Chipper Jones, Dale Murphy, Andrew Jones. There's just not a lot of these guys. The only guy in the top 30 right now in terms of uh, Fangraph War that have more home runs uh, than he has is, is Aaron Judge and uh, the only active guys because uh, Jordan Alvarez is on the uh, the IL right now. Right. But, I mean, that kind of gives you a sense of what they're getting out of him. I mean, Dansby Swanson has been this team's leader in terms of, of uh, wins above replacement, but um, you know, Austin Riley just, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's incredible to think that he's really, I mean, you think about the pandemic-shortened season. He's, this is only his second full season in the majors, and we're talking about him, you know, challenging those numbers that Chipper had, you know, Andres Galarraga in that first half. I mean, this is just, this is a guy that a year ago we wondered, is, he, is this going to be the, the breakout star? Is this the year mm-hmm. that it comes together after what we watched through his 
first, you know, couple seasons of, you know, trying to find himself. Um, the dude's a superstar. I mean, yeah. it, it's time to finally say Austin, Austin Riley is an absolute superstar. And with 68 games to go, he is only six home runs away from matching his career high set in the breakout season of 2021 when he hit 33. So if Austin Riley stays healthy and, and anywhere close to the productivity level that he's been thus far this season, he's going to set a new high in home runs. He can set a new high in a whole lot of other things as well, and I wouldn't be surprised by that. I was looking back over the last 30 games because I mentioned nine home runs in July for Austin Riley, but over the last 30, Matt Olson also has nine home runs. He started swinging the bat a little bit better here in July, and the RBI are starting to show up, Corey, and I think that's a big thing to get both those guys on the corners, both those guys when you talk about the three-hitter and the four-hitter in the lineup going, driving in runs. Folks have been wanting to see quite a bit and quite a bit from Matt Olson as well. He's had a lot of questions thrown at him, I think, sometimes unfairly. So he has 50 extra base hits. He's tied with Riley for the team lead. That's third in all of baseball behind Jose Ramirez and Rafael Devers, and I bet if you told people that he was third in the majors in extra base hits, they wouldn't believe you. I know we have, obviously yeah. the doubles is crazy, but I mean he's only a 1-8 uh, war player so far, 126 WRC+. plus. Remember, 100 is league average. The defense has actually been a little bit, I'm going to say more peculiar, but a little bit different than I anticipated it was going to be. Zero defensive run saved. He's a negative ultimate zone rating for the first time in his career. Negative outs above average. Um, those are not really indicative of a guy mm-hmm. with the gold glove resume that he has. But I think the offense has been better than he's getting credit for. Uh, you know, I think everyone anticipated they've seen a lot of power out of this first base spot for years for the Braves. Yeah. They've seen a lot of extra base hits. They may not be of the home run variety as much as you want. They have been of late. Uh, but Matt Olson having a better season than I think people are realizing. Yeah, I think so. And it's just been some highs and lows. He got out of the box with a great three weeks. Then it seemed like five or six weeks where there were some ups and downs inside of that, but an awful lot of downs as his average began to plummet. And the RBI simply weren't there, but I don't think he was getting a lot of opportunities to drive in runs as well because the bottom half of the Braves order started out ice cold. And when I mean bottom half, I mean like, five through nine in the lineup. It was not a good look for the Braves early on. And it wasn't just Olsen. It was this whole club hitting a bunch of solo home runs for weeks on end. That was something that you didn't expect to be would would be taken away from the Braves. You knew the home run was going to help drive the offense, but you thought some of those would come with runners on base. That has started to show up a lot more since June the 1st when the Braves reeled off that 14-game winning streak. We'll talk a lot more about Austin Riley as we continue. We'll get into our all-star discussion here on From the Diamond in just a little bit as well. But let's talk about another big story that is developing for the Braves, and I think it's one that folks look at every single year, and that's what's going on with the Atlanta bullpen. There have been some nights where you kind of wondered what's going to go on, particularly with Kenley Jansen down for a while. It pushed A.J. Minter into some save opportunities. I think A.J. did a great job. And, oh, by the way, I think A.J. has been the Braves' best reliever this year. But welcoming Kenley back, and I know that there was a little bit of a hiccup in Washington, you know, giving up a home run to Michael Franco the other night. But by and large, having Jansen holding down the ninth inning allows the Braves' bullpen to slot in a lot better than it did without him. That's some very obvious thinking, but I don't know that it needs to be you know, ignored either. But then down in the minor leagues, you have a name that Braves fans are going to have to become familiar with, I think, and that's Kirby Yates, former all-star closer for the Padres, signed over the winter, coming off of Tommy John surgery. So this will be his first action in quite some time. But he began his rehab assignment over the weekend with the FCL Braves, had a scoreless appearance on Saturday night. I think this is a low-key 
key to success for the Braves in the second half, getting Kirby Yates into this bullpen mix. And I find him fascinating, too, because it, it, it's going to provide, I don't want to say a barometer, but maybe some of the direction of what Alex Anthopoulos could do with the, you know, the trade deadline looming here on August 2nd. How aggressive does he want to be to upgrade that bullpen? I think you and I are both in agreement that even if Kirby Yates looks like the guy that is a former All-Star and you know it was one of the, the best relievers in the game for a stretch, mm-hmm. uh, you can still make this bullpen better, but I think how aggressive you decide to be, uh, I mean, Kirby Yates being something like he used to be could really impact what the Braves' plans are going to be. Uh, so I think he, t- to me, it's just really, it's just going to be really fascinating to see over these next couple weeks how quickly does he progress? What are they going to be able to get out of him? Yeah, and keep in mind when a pitcher goes on a rehab assignment, he has 30 days in in which he can appear in minor league games before the club has to make a decision about you know what's going to go on. And for Kirby Yates, I would think that it would be closer to the full 30 days. So if he started out in the middle of July, then the middle of August would seem to be the ETA for Kirby. So you look at the trade deadline being the first couple of days of August, you're going to have to make a decision before you really know maybe what you have with Kirby Yates. And I don't think this is going to deter Alex Anthopoulos from going out there and making this bullpen better. No, I don't. I mean, again, this is a guy who two years ago or three years ago, I guess it is, saved 41 games. Uh, So I think you're going to get a sense of what he's able to do watching him in the minors. And I think that just allows you to be, it's not as though the the Braves are in a dire position with relievers that they can't wait out Kirby Yates if they like what they see out of him, what he's doing at the minor league level. Again, I think they're going to do something. And I think it's not nearly going to be as sexy as it was last year when you remake the outfield, but this is the spot (laughs) I think that they find a way to get better. Yeah, I don't know that, I don't want him to have to (laughs) remake. make the outfield every year either, by the way. I love the way that it worked out for him. Nothing wrong with that, but I want to see the Braves have the opportunity to go out and maybe just, you know, maybe surprise us with some of the moves that they make. But we got a lot more to talk about here on From the Diamond. A lot more this week in Braves baseball will be coming your way, and it will be happening next right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game from the Kia Studios as we wrap up our weekend. And, of course, the Braves and the rest of baseball, they just wrapped up the first half. It's going to be a big weekend. The Major League Baseball draft happening on Sunday. you got the home run derby going on on Monday. Ronald Acuna Jr. will be part of that. And, of course, the All-Star game itself on Tuesday with six different Braves representing the club. And Brian Snitker and the coaching staff also going to be out there in L.A. So it'll be kind of a Braves themed affair out there, Corey, and for good reason. The Braves yeah. won the World Series. That's what happens when you're the champs, right? right? You get to go on parade in front of everybody in the All-Star game, and it's not just the fact that they have guys there. I mean, this, they've this they got the core of what was really, you know, the mm-hmm. last four years. You and I were talking about this before we came back uh, from break. The, the amount of guys they have there that were products of the system, and by products of the system, I mean guys that made their Major League debut mm-hmm. with the Braves. You think about Ron Lacuna Jr., Dansby Swanson, Max Fried, William Contreras, Austin Riley, Travis Darnot being the only guy that wasn't, and Brian Snicker also a, a product of the Braves system. If you really <laughs> yeah, want to dig into this thing, so. uh, but I think that's maybe the coolest thing about this because I was kind of going through the NL starters and in, in reserves in, in terms of position players can really only come up with about eight other guys who who are kind of fit that same mold, and the Braves are bringing five of their own. I mean, that's it's incredibly impressive. Now, do we count Albert Pujols as a Cardinal no. All-Star, I guess? He went, took the long way back <laughs> by guess. going out to Los Angeles right, for a well, decade. But All right. Maybe that's one more. I don't I just thought of that in the moment. But 
either way. No, it is impressive to see guys that stick with that team and make the All-Star team. And then, of course, all together collectively, what the Braves have done with the guys that they have developed is a big reason for their success. Because as we know, you know, the Braves have not been one of the biggest spending clubs in all of baseball. That's something that lately has been on the rise. But it was important for the Braves to get that rebuild right. And I would say that they have with the four consecutive division titles, two trips to the NLCS and a World Series now, in addition to all the individual accolades and awards and things that a lot of these guys, these all-stars have taken home, whether it be silver sluggers, gold gloves, whatever it may be. These are some guys that have racked up some awards, rookies of the year in the case of um, uh, Mr. Ronald Acuna Jr., who I want to take a couple of minutes and talk about because I know that a lot of folks, and it's just kind of some of the feedback I'm getting, and it it may be the vocal minority. It doesn't really apply to everyone, but You know, Ronald Acuna Jr. has had, I think, some moments where you see it and you're like, that's the guy. That's Ronald Acuna Jr., one of the most exciting players, one of the best players in all of baseball. Let me go ahead and tell you, that's absolutely true. Let me also go ahead and reiterate that he is coming off a major injury, which can take some time for a player to get back from. We haven't seen the home runs yet, Corey, so it makes it two things are interesting about this. A, Ronald was the number one vote getter in all the National League, so clearly there was an appetite to see him be involved in this midseason exhibition, if you will, that features the best players in baseball. Secondly, he's in the home run derby. Now, we've seen Ronald in a home run derby before, and it was pretty awesome. He only has eight home runs, though, this year, and I think that's one of the lowest totals of anybody to ever take part in the home run derby. But I'm of the mind that this may actually help Ronald begin to get back into launch mode because I think that for a while, especially the last couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, maybe longer, really, he's been stuck in between. He's getting the hard, hard hit contact is there. He's in the 90th percentile or better in pretty much every hard hit rate that you want to see on StatCast. But the ball is not going over the fence, and that's something that maybe an exhibition, you know, a a contest where you're trying to lift the ball might come in handy for somebody who's trying very much to lift the ball right now. And he's not a guy that's going to be selling out to pull the ball. As we saw last time with him, it's just it's easy power to all fields. Uh, this is not Pete Alonzo who is going to get that Sammy Sosa level of amped up for this, who's going to be down in the cage taking these, you know, aggressive hacks in between rounds and feel like this guy is just, you know, running in like the ultimate warrior ready to, to, to bash was, home you runs. You took the word right out of my mouth. <laughs> but the thing with Acuna, so you mentioned the hard the, the rates. The hard hit rate, 91st percentile. Average exit velocity, 89th percentile. The expected weighted on base average, 93rd. The expected slug, 93rd. Mm-hmm. But those are all down for him. The, the barrel rate's the lowest since his rookie year. The same with the hard hit rate. The launch angle, which you mentioned, the lowest it's ever been. He's having struggles with pitches uh, within the fastball group, hitting yes. 222 against the four seam, which is down nearly 40 points. Uh, the slug's nearly down 230 points year over year. He's at 136 against the cutter. That slug's down 230 points. So he needs a spark. And, and is this the spark? Because you think about yeah. it, it did, I mean, it did help Juan Soto, you know, when he was a part of this. It yeah. did It did help him get on track. Um, I, this is a guy who lives for moments, and I think this is a moment. And he's obviously got a horrible first-round matchup because he's got the two-time defending champ in Alonzo. Yeah. Uh, but if he's going to find a rhythm, I think this is the chance to do it. And I think Ronald Acuna Jr., if we're going to continue to to make this analogy of what worker would he be if he had a wrestling persona, is much more of like that great all-around worker because he does everything so well. So whether that be you know, a Randy Savage or a Shawn Michaels or a Bret Hart or somebody of that, you know, that caliber. 
you know, this is one of the best performers in all of baseball. And I want to move back into the baseball realm and talk about this. But Pete Alonso has all the power. He's shown that he has been a big-time star in the Home Run Derby and one of the big reasons you want to tune in and watch this thing on Monday night. So I think if anything for Ronald, there might be a little bit extra motivation that comes into you know, the opportunity to go up against a guy that has been the, at the top of the mountain when it comes to that Home Run Derby. And you know, Ronald hit, what, 26 home runs in his Home Run Derby round in 2019? Yeah. Somewhere around, around there. The, yeah, yeah. And he was putting on this show, and I've watched him in batting practice this year. Even if it's not showing up in the games, I still see it. He will go out there and go on a round, and he will hit a home run to left. He will hit a home run to center. He will hit a home run to right field. He will do them three in a row. This guy has light tower power. It is still there, but he is getting, I feel like, beat to the spot with fastballs a little bit more this year than I expected. But I think that that's something he can adjust and will adjust. And could you go back to the barrel rate? Is he in the 92nd percentile? In baseball, in barrel rates, and that's down year over year? Yeah, so he's in that 90th percentile range. That should scare people. But yeah, and it should. And <laughs> Here's the thing with him, though. Think about last year this team wins a championship without him. This year they have eight players who have at least 145 plate appearances that are hitting at or above league average, so 100 weighted run credit plus or higher. He is sixth on that list. This team has you know, been able to overcome him not – I mean, just same thing with the Nationals and Soto not being the, you know, the best – hitter in baseball, they've been able to overcome him not being the guy. Yeah. And I, I almost wonder if he wants that moment to show and remind everyone, I am the guy. And, and tomorrow night and Monday night could be that opportunity. And maybe it's a moment that he needs. This is from the Diamond on Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney along with you as we talk a little bit of primer for the Home Run Derby, which of course is the primer for the All-Star Game. Both those things are happening this week. Ronald Acuna Jr. taking part in that home run derby and, of course, will be taking part in the All-Star game as he was the number one vote-getter elected to be a starter. And among the six Braves All-Stars that are going to be out in Los Angeles trying to lead the National League to a victory over the American League. If you follow me on Twitter, which you should, at Grant McCauley, you might notice that you know I've, I've fielded a few questions and, and more than a little bit of feedback that Ronald Acuna Jr. doesn't belong in the All-Star game. He doesn't deserve it. Well, let me tell you. It's an exhibition. The fans get to vote. If the votes come in and you get the most votes or the most votes at your position, you get to go to the All-Star game. Sorry about it. That's the end of that. Ronald Acuna Jr. is one of the things that is right about baseball. He's the kind of player that you want in the exhibition, a gala, whatever you want to call it, because that's more or less what this is. Thankfully, it has nothing to do with World Series home field advantage anymore. I can't tell you how thankful I am that it no longer is attached to that. But there's nothing wrong with having a player there that isn't, you know, necessarily one, two, or three in the MVP discussion every single year. Now, there's another conversation to be had for guys that may get overlooked because of the name value of other players, and that's totally valid as well. But if you're looking to showcase baseball, I still say that on the short list of players you start with, Ronald Acuna Jr.'s name is right there. I think he's almost a victim of what he's accomplished in the past because when remember when he first started coming back, Brian Snicker said, you know, it's probably going to be until we're around that 12-month time from him having the injury that we're going to talk about him playing every day. Well, he erased that very quickly, Mm -hmm. and we just got to that one-year mark a week ago. Think about how long he's already been back. He's already been performing. I I just think that you you got to—I hate to say this, but because, you know, this obviously is a guy who led all the NL players in all-star voting. Show some grace. I mean, the guy is literally coming back from an injury that used to derail careers— Mm-hmm. And we're watching, you know, him try to find himself again off that. Have little, you know, tic tac injuries that have become a, you know, it, whether you want to say they're, they're comp, you know, him 
compensating for what happened with the the uh, the ACL there, but it, it's going to take a little time for him to look like he used to look. You're going to get glimpses, mm-hmm. and it's going to be worth it when he finally looks like Acuna full-time. He has set the bar so incredibly high in such a short amount of time because we're talking about, what, a 24-year-old player at this point, his age 24 season. He was, you know, really, I think, had the inside track on National League MVP a season ago, and he was, and I've heard people say this as well, you know, the Braves won the World Series without Ronald Acuna Jr., let me assure you, the Braves would not have been in position to make that second-half run were it not for Ronald Acuna Jr. putting the club on his back at times in the first half and keeping them in the point of contention to where you could go out if you're Alex Anthopoulos and say, okay, we're close enough to make a run to try to get in the playoffs again. I'm going to buy. Rather than being 10 games under, where there wouldn't have been a question about trading for four outfielders and acquiring other help at the trade deadline, it would have just been a, hey, this isn't our year. And unfortunately, you know, we got to kind of stand pat and – that's just kind of the way that things broke. So I feel like for Ronald, the expectations, the bar has been set so incredibly high by what he has accomplished. But if you do start to peel back the numbers and look at not only his stat cast info, but the fact this guy stole 20 bases in the first half and the fact that if you're calling this that you've seen here from Ronald here in 2022 a slump or an off year or whatever, be very thankful because a lot of guys go through a lot worse for a lot longer and I think that he's going to course correct here in the second half. And maybe, as you said, that that home run derby is something that can spark him. Yeah, and I mentioned the issue that he's having with the kind of pitches that he has historically crushed. I, I think there's a little bit of a sense of pressing, too. I mean, he's, he's, oh, sure. he, he's seeing pitches outside the zone at the highest rate of his career, and he has the highest swing rate of them since his rookie year. So if you're listening and you think, man, I, I just really wish Acuna would look like I'm used to this guy looking like just you know one of the top five players in baseball, you look at the numbers and it feels like Ronald Acuna Jr. feels the exact same way. I think that's why tomorrow night should be so key and could be so key. Um, again, he's got a big matchup here against uh, Pete Alonzo, and I'm sure there's a lot of people picking him uh, for a three-peat here, but uh, <laughs> this could be the chance for him to really get on track. It could definitely be. And it, you know, perhaps this first-round matchup between Pete Alonzo and Ronald Acuna Jr. will be when the mega powers explode. That's we'll right. see exactly how all that plays out. Some other all-star news, though, as we've talked a lot about Ronald Acuna Jr., and justifiably so, but the Braves did have some all-star news on Sunday, and that is that Max Fried will not be on the active roster for the NL squad. He pitched on Saturday through seven innings, so he's not going to be throwing on Tuesday. Devin Williams of the Brewers was added, one of the best relievers in the National League. Very worthy honor for him. Unfortunate to see that Max doesn't get to throw an inning, but again, it's an exhibition. He'll still get to make this trip, experience all of this, and have a time with his teammates. And as a kid who grew up going to games at Dodger Stadium and idolizing Sandy Koufax, I would imagine that being there, being on that club, is a big deal for him. And this is probably a little more chill than it would be if you were actually worried about going in there. And I remember talking to Shelby Miller when the when the game was in Cincinnati, and he was worried he wasn't even going to get in that game. You know, I mean, the fact that the, the way they use starting pitchers late in these games are just so many of them. You're trying to work your way through it. Certainly, he would have had an edge with his manager pulling the strings. Oh, sure. But uh, you know, good good on Max Fried, and, and you know, he gets to go home and, and chill out a little bit and and take in. Uh, I, I you know, I'm sure the hair is going to look spectacular because he's not going to have to sweat. Yeah, well, that is also true, and and I wouldn't know the first thing about that, but you know, bravo to him and his eighty grade hair. I can't, I can't be mad at it. So Ronald Acuna Jr. has made an All Star game before. We mentioned for Max Fried, this is a first for Travis Darno. Meanwhile, it's also a first, and this is a journeyman catcher who's been around for what about a decade in the big leagues. This is, I think, an incredible honor for him. We had him on the show a couple of weeks ago, or my conversation with him, just about you know what they've done behind the plate because another first time All Star is William Contreras, who has helped him become some of the best catchers, or the best catchers in terms of production in all of baseball. That has been 
I think, one of the most impressive aspects of the Braves here in the first half. And then you have first-time All-Stars, Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley. So a lot of different guys who it took longer for some to get here than others. But I do still feel like that this is an honor and that when you do have the opportunity to go play in an All-Star game, whether it's the exhibition or not, it's still something that players look forward to and are thankful to have the opportunity to do. And, hey, it probably doesn't hurt when you're making a case as a free agent player for a, a little bit bigger contract somewhere. Hey, I've been in the All-Stars. Have you seen that? I've been an All-Star. <laughs> yeah, it probably plays out in those arbitration hearings as well. But, come up. I mean, I think Darno is such a great story here, right? Like, we can go on and on about the different Braves here, but uh, Darno, the way that they got him, you think about, you mm-hmm. know, basically being cast off from the Mets and, you mm-hmm. know, the, obviously the way the, all that he went through. Um, certainly his brother Chase, you know, the, the Braves' connections there, bringing him in. Al- Anthopoulos told us that they had their eyes on him for a long time. Um, he's meant so much to this pitching staff and their development. Uh, I, just it, a fantastic uh, turnaround here for Darno these past couple of years. It's pretty cool too because you know you were talking about the you know the guys that you know, make a debut with a club and have the opportunity to become an All Star for that club. Well, think about the Alex Antopoulos and Travis Darno tie as well. Is that you know he ended up I believe trading for Travis Darno, getting him from the Phillies, trading him away to the Mets, and then <laughs> being able to sign him with the Braves. So those two guys have quite a bit of history. Pretty impressive stuff and. A long road that leads out to Los Angeles for Travis Darno. I know he's going to enjoy that quite a bit. Uh, Dansby Swanson, very deserving. Had a great case to perhaps be the starter for the National League at shortstop. But Braves sending six All-Stars out to L.A. The All-Star game will be happening on Tuesday, the Home Run Derby. Ronald Acuna Jr., hopefully starring in that on Monday. Got a lot more to get to right here on From the Diamond. When we come back, we'll take our look around the big leagues. We hope you stick around. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game from the Kia Studios. Thanks for making us part of your Sunday night, part of your weekend as we wrap up the first half, talking Braves and, of course, Major League Baseball with the All-Star Game on Tuesday. All the stars will be out. Six Braves All-Stars will be out there as well. Meanwhile, if you have enjoyed what you've heard on the show, if you check us out every Sunday, we appreciate that. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us right there. Just search for From the Diamond. Corey, let's look around the big leagues here and start in the American League. As we do every single week, we talk about the New York Yankees because not because we're contractually obligated, but because they're the team with the best record in all of baseball, and uh, they continue their winning ways. And one of the ways you become a winning club is you hit on a lot of acquisitions that you make. Some are huge acquisitions, like Giancarlo Stanton and his $300 million contract that they picked up a few years ago. That one is bearing fruit. Others kind of slip through the cracks a little bit, and they could look a lot like Matt Carpenter. Yes, the Matt Carpenter, who was an integral part of some pretty good St. Louis Cardinals teams for about a decade or so, but looked to be all but out of baseball prior to signing with the Yankees and somehow turning himself into Roy Hobbs. He has been unbelievable. 285 weighted run created plus in 92 plate appearances, 13 home runs. Among all the players in baseball with at least 13 homers, his WRC plus is nearly 100% higher, 100% higher than anybody. He's the fifth player in the expansion era, which goes back to 61, with an OPS of at least 1,400 through 30 games played. Uh, three of the free- previous four players to do that ended up winning MVP, Barry Bonds in 02 and 04, and Cody Bellinger in 2019. I do not think Matt Carpenter is going to be taking home any hardware, uh, maybe comeback player of the year or something along that degree, although I think Justin Verlander is going to be have something yeah. to say about that. But sure. um, this is uh, – it, it's just been 
unreal. I mean, it could, imagine if the if the Braves were getting that from Robinson Cano. That's basically what you're talking right. about with Matt Carpenter. Well, let me give you some old school stats on this because we like to, to do them all. And the mosaic that we like to paint here is to give you everything that you need to know about how much Matt Carpenter has done and how little time he's done it. He has 79 at-bats in a Yankees uniform this year. He has 34 runs batted in. He has hit 13 home runs in 79 at-bats. So he's homering about, what, once every six at-bats, which is an insane thing to think about. Nearly 1,400 OPS, and as you mentioned, all of the other comparables and, and the advanced numbers that also tell you that this guy has been swinging out of his mind. And there were a lot of questions the last couple of years about whether or not Matt Carpenter could see, you know, if it maybe he just his bat had slowed down to the point where he just wasn't of any use. And then the Yankees, who were a team that doesn't necessarily need to turn over every single stone to have a good season, somehow this guy landed in their lap and 29 other teams could have had him. And again, he's out there swinging it like this is, you know, the sequel to the natural, which is unbelievable to me. I, I think I kind of look at him and just think how many one, you know, you mentioned that how many teams just screwed up with him. Uh, <laughs> but the fact that, you know, he, he's just getting this done at this age too. I mean, he's 36 years old. Uh, he's doing that in within this offense and this has to be baseball's year of the mustache, right? I mean, obviously, Cap Carpenter, you know, goes to the Yankees. He's mm-hmm. got the stash. Spencer Strider here in Atlanta, uh, but he's been set four or five years removed from being even, you know, above average like major a league player. player. Yeah, and it was a point in in, San, in uh, St. Louis where people were just like, "This guy's got to go. This guy's got to go. The power's gone. You know, he's not even a really viable bat anymore." And here he is, you know, entering you know the 2022 version of Murderer's Row here with this uh, this Yankees team, and it's just been. I don't. I mean, I, I don't think we're going to be having this conversation two, three weeks from now that he's still performing at this level. But I mean, we're talking, you know, almost a hundred plate appearances at this point. It's, it's hard to ignore it right now. It's impossible to ignore it. I mean, it was a nice story when he was doing it for like a week or two. It's an insane story to be yeah. looking at it. You know, basically a month into your tenure with a club, and the fact that you know, last year with St. Louis. This dude hit 169. The year before that, in the pandemic season, he hit 186. The year before that, his last full season was 2019. He hit 226. And yeah, he drew some walks, and his on base percentage was higher than that batting average, which is just, you know, kind of like the quick and simple eye test. But he's got 13 home runs this year. He hit seven combined the last two seasons in over 400 plate appearances. Meanwhile, he's got those 13 bombs in less than 100 plate appearances this year. It's unbelievable. This is not the Matt Carpenter show, but up there at Yankee Stadium, (laughs) and for the Yankees, it has been the Matt Carpenter show for a hot minute. Looking at the overall standings, you know the Yankees, with the best record in baseball, have a commanding lead in that division. 13 games as we sit here on a Sunday night. Tampa Bay Rays, meanwhile, are 10 games over 500. they They've had to deal with a slew of injuries, but they've also had, as they always do, the ability to find and cobble together a team that just the sum of its parts is better than the star-level players that you might be looking for on a team like, say, the Yankees. And that means that the Rays, as well as the Blue Jays, have an opportunity to grab wild-card spots in the American League, and as do the Seattle Mariners, who we'll be talking about when we get out west. But we expect at least one of these wild-card spots to come out of the east, Corey. Probably two would be the way it goes, just based on the Rays, the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, and the very surprising Baltimore Orioles. So the Red Sox, obviously, you know, I mean, anytime you're talking about the American League East, you talk about the Yankees, you coincide, you know, with that with talk about the Red Sox. But they are in the news right now for the wrong reason because Chris Sale took a pitch off the hand 
uh, today from uh, a hit back from from Aaron Hicks against the Yankees. Uh, he's now going to be out four to six weeks. Uh, he will pitch again in 2022. Uh, but man, the the you know the, the fact that they're already dealing with Trevor Story being on the ten day IL, mm-hmm. they've dropped you know seven of ten to they got swept by the Rays in a four game series to you know they're out of the wild card uh, standings right moment, now for right. the moment. Uh, obviously, the Orioles have been you know playing absolutely out of their minds there, but that's a big one for the Reds for the Red Sox because they had just twenty four pitches out of Sale who just made you know his debut on July twelfth. Um, they've just been really hit by injuries, and now you've got their highest-paid player, position player, their highest-paid uh, you know, pitcher now, both mm-hmm. out of the equation. This could be a big-time story to see this with Sale. And think about this as well. They're going to have to notify their AAA affiliate that <laughs> there could be someone on the loose <laughs> in the hallway once again if a rehab start doesn't go That's his way, right. but they won't have to worry about that for over a month. All jokes aside, that is a big loss for the Red Sox, who had waited so long to get Chris Sale back in their rotation. As we look into the Central, it's the Minnesota Twins leading the Cleveland Guardians in that division, though the Guardians finishing up uh, with a, an, on a winning note through the weekend and being able to pick up some victories that have moved them to within two games of the top spot. The White Sox are only three games out of first place as they found their way to 500 at the break. I was wondering, because you and I have been doing this show for about two months now, and every single week we said, is this the, w- the week where the White Sox finally remember that they could be the best team in that division and actually start playing like it? Yeah, and I think Lance Lynn kind of is the embodiment of their season, right? I mean, he went, you know, it was third in the American League Cy Young voting a year ago. Um, I mean, he's been really bad. You know, he's got a, a 12-0 ERA. Of, I mean, he's he's just kind of been kind of, to me, a team that's not really been able to find his footing. They're getting a little bit better. I mean, they're getting a little healthier. Um, but I, you know, to me, the Guardians are just the most interesting team in that division because, one, we didn't expect them to be there. And and I think Jose Ramirez, you know, with that contract and and wanting to be a part of what's happening there in Cleveland, um, been one of the best players in baseball this season. If you're looking for a dark horse Monday night in your home run derby, I present to you Jose Ramirez, the yep. American League RBI leader. Um, you know, he's just been he's had 19 multi homer games. Uh, you know, just this is a guy that I think is probably not getting enough credit. Watch him Monday night. I think he's a name. I mean, he's the best player that a lot of people just don't yeah. know about, or maybe they've heard of him, but they haven't stopped and really gone through and looked at the numbers because you can make an argument just about every single year. And let's put Mike Trout over to the side, and you know, and there's a few other guys that are obviously on this list, but. Jose Ramirez, I think, is probably a top three player in all of baseball, and there's a large contention of people that may not realize exactly how good he is when you stack him up against virtually anybody else in baseball for the full body of work that he has given that Cleveland team. I mean, he's been unreal this year. 162 weighted run creative plus. He's been a four-war player. As good as Dansby Swanson's been, he's hitting 32% better than than Swanson with a war that's just a little uh, a touch better. I mean, he's gone deep already 19 times. Um, I just, I again, I think you said it right there. I mean, he just doesn't get enough credit. Um, I think you know he's he's a guy that just you know Monday night. I think it, it, as much as I feel like him and Julio Rodriguez are the ones that people mm-hmm. don't necessarily know that I think I think we talked about Acuna and what Monday night could mean for him. I think those two, this is like star making potential for Ramirez and Rodriguez. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. Obviously, we have two very different players yeah. here because Rodriguez is. You know, an up and comer. One of the big reasons why, and let's talk about the American League West because we actually have something a little bit more exciting to talk about in terms of a club that may not be able to challenge the Houston Astros for the top of that division. But if you look at what the Seattle Mariners have done, 14 consecutive wins. The Braves had 14 consecutive victories. I believe, if my math is correct, it got them to within, what, four games of the Mets when the 14 game winning streak came to an end. The Mariners have won 14 consecutive games. 
They are still nine games back in the American League West, but they are a heat-seeking club, the hottest club in baseball, and it seems to coincide right around. I mean, obviously players are better, but maybe that little scuffle out in Anaheim just woke something up for the Mariners and really got them motivated to play as cohesively as possible because they have been a dominant force the last two weeks. And going out and getting Carlos Santana. I know it wasn't like a big-time, earth-shattering deal, but the fact that you were scuffling and you have that moment with the you know the issue with the, the Angels there, um, and then you go out and make a move where you show your players that we're not giving up, uh, they've kind of broken up that that uh, well. They have broken up that AL East chokehold uh, in the wild card yeah, spot. Their way right and, in, and they go into the All Star break knowing that you know they're contenders with Kyle Lewis and Mitch Haniger set to return. A chance to add at the deadline. They've got as we mentioned Julio Rodriguez, who's the Rookie of the Year front runner. Robbie Ray, uh, meanwhile, a one six four ERA since June twenty first. Chris Flexen, Marco Gonzalez have been top twenty starters in the AL in that span. This is a very very good baseball team that took a long time to find their footing. I don't think they're going to catch the Astros, but mm-hmm. I think that the, the longest postseason uh, drought in professional sports, it might just end in 2022. It very well could if this club is able to play anywhere close to what they have. And think about doing all of this really without Mitch Haniger for a good portion of the season, without Kyle Lewis, who was the American League Rookie of the Year a couple of years ago, and with Jerry Kelnick not being uh, able to do much for the Mariners this year to the point that they had to demote him again for the second consecutive year. Some of the key names and players, you know, they weren't really getting what they needed to get out of them. Even the trade they made with the Reds to get Jesse Winker and to get Eugenio Suarez, that had not really been bearing fruit until you got into where it seems like everything has finally fallen into place in Seattle. And Winker just started hitting above league average. I mean, there for a while, when you looked at guys who were everyday players, he was teetering on being one of the worst. He was in that Javier Baez. Marcelo Zuna was living in that space for a while, too. Mm. Um, You know, Winker was right there with him, and now he's finally putting it together. Suarez, I mean, has been really good. He's gone deep 16 times. You talk about quiet, good seasons. I mean, he's been a a two-and-a-half war player just about. So I think this Seattle team is very special, and they've they've put together a run now that absolutely proves that. It really is. I mean, the Mariners and this run to kind of close out the first half, it encapsulates what is possible for a club. And we saw some of this with the Braves as well. But, I mean, it's hard to get out of this division and, and turn the page to the wild card without once again just looking at the Angels and wondering, how did everything that was going so right for the first few weeks go so terribly wrong? Because, you know, their big losing streak dumped them not only out of first place, but sent them plummeting down the standings in the American League West to the point where the only team that's worse is the Oakland Athletics, and they're not altogether that much worse. The The Angels are closer to last place than they are to first place, and this was a club that spent, what, a month and a half in first place, and we're just now getting the All-Star break. You've got Shohei Otani going to the All-Star game for good reason. Mike Trout has been kind of nursing a back thing over the weekend. I'm not sure if that's a, a status that has been upgraded one way or another in terms of what the All-Star game is going to yeah, hold he's for out. him. He's out. So he's out of yep. the All-Star game. And so that's just another thing that you can kind of point at. I mean, Trout has dealt with a lot of injuries over the past few seasons. So now not participating in the All-Star game. That's the least of the troubles, though, for the Angels, as they had a season that seemed to start out with such promise that really fizzled. Yeah, Mike Trout's out, so Byron Buxton's going to get the starting nod. Ty France from the you know the Mariners, as we've talked yeah. about them, added to the All-Star. There's he another was, snub for a lot of people. Yeah, he was like a big-time snub for a lot of people. So uh, this Angels team, it's confounding that Shohei Otani can be so good, and we're talking about a middle-of-the-tier uh, rotation here. Noah Syndergaard is a name that they may end up having to shop here. Yeah, um, really yeah, I just been that good yeah I don't there. think anybody anticipated that. So 
Uh, you know, Rossiel Iglesias could be a hot name if they feel like they have no choice but to get into a position where they start selling pieces yeah. off. And um, yeah, it's it's just so bizarre when you have that much star power that we're talking about this team just trying to find its identity. You have two of the biggest stars in all of baseball and not a lot else. And that's a crazy thing to think about because the Angels have spent a lot of money trying to have more than just Mike Trout and more than just Shohei Otani, who, by the way, is going to be owed a whole bunch of money by someone at some point when he hits free agency. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in in just a few minutes because we're going to be talking about what's going on with Juan Soto. But in terms of looking at the overall rates in the American League, Yankees on top in the east. It's the Twins in the central. It's the Astros out west. you got the Rays, the Mariners, and the Blue Jays holding on to wild card spots, but a lot of baseball left to be played. Should be exciting to see what those races look like. When we come back here... On from the Diamond, we will go around the big leagues and hit the National League next, and that'll happen right here. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you from the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back. This is from the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you on a Sunday evening from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Time to take a look around the National League. We'll talk a little bit of All-Star and talk a little bit of maybe free agency, maybe trade, maybe hot stove. I don't know. Maybe all of the above. We'll get to that in just a moment. We're going to start in the National League East, so you don't have to wait long. Let's talk about the Braves and Mets real quick because we approach the All-Star break here, and now we know where the Braves are going to be after their first half. 18 games over 500. Corey, if I told you on opening day that at the All-Star break, the Braves would be 18 games over, I think Braves fans would be doing backflips because they didn't get to 15 games over until the final game of the season last year. And obviously we know how the story ended in 2021. It doesn't get any better than that. But as we size up this first half, we know that the Mets are a better team than they were a year ago. It's pretty obvious when you look at the roster, the moves that they made over the offseason, and the fact that this is a club that, as the Braves found out in the showdown, grinds out at bats, and it's a very professional ball club, and you know they're going to try to get better here in a couple of weeks when we get to the trade deadline, too. They are, and I wonder, you know, what are they going to do? One, because you you look at the rotation, and obviously Jacob deGrom is on his way back. He's going to have another rehab uh, start on Tuesday, even though the minor leagues are going to be off. They're going to work something for him to get some innings here to help him stretch out to around 60 pitches. So I think you're looking at him being back uh, you know, probably within the next couple of weeks, Sandy Alderson has said that they don't expect to prioritize their rotation. So don't expect them to be on, on uh, Luis Castillo, Frankie Montas, Tyler Malley. They could, though, be looking at DH, which has been a, you know, one of the lowest productivity in the game out of the DH mm-hmm. spot. So do they start looking at Trey Mancini from the Orioles? Or the Orioles may not actually want to deal now that they look right. like a contender. But Josh Bell uh, from the, the rival Nationals could make a lot of sense for this team. Um, you know, I think this is that that's probably going to be the spot because I just I don't think they need to do anything with the rotation because think about the fact that David Peterson looked fantastic against the Braves and when Degrom comes back, that guy's probably out of rotation spot. So I can't see them making any upgrades there. I think DH might be the best spot for them. I think it is. It's the one that makes the most sense. But I am leery of any GM that says oh, we're not really looking <laughs> for that because if you're not looking for everything or having conversations yeah. about everything, then. You know, you might be asleep at the wheel or you might just not want to tell people what you're talking about, which is usually a pretty good policy in general when it comes to trying to acquire players that other teams are looking for. You mentioned the Washington Nationals, and I do think, and we saw Bell have a great series against the Braves over the weekend in the four games leading up to the All-Star break. Atlanta won three out of four, but Josh Bell has really gotten himself back on the track he was on in Pittsburgh in 2019 when he had his breakout season and was one of the better slugging first basemen in the game. 
And if you think about that fit for the Mets, it would be, I would assume, moving Pete Alonso to the DH spot and playing Bell at first base on a semi-regular basis, and that would be something that would help him out as well. It would, and you think about Bell and the fact, you remember, he was an all-star uh, back in uh, 2019 with yep. the Pirates, and exactly. he would just had this, think about uh, guys, by the way, that the home run derby completely messed up their second half. Josh Bell definitely fits that mold because he fell off the books after that uh, that first half there. Can we blame the home run well, derby? I'm, go- I'm going to blame it, though, because it, he uh, ended, though, with a, a 135, a way to run creative plus. He was nearly a three-war player that year. He's hitting 10% better this year and has already almost equaled his war from that breakout season in 2019. He's got 13 home runs. Um, yeah, he. I mean, he, you know, he plays a pretty good defense at, at first base, and if you take that extra wear and tear off of Alonzo or you want to use them in tandem or whatever you want to mm-hmm. do, I mean, but, man, that, that Mets lineup could be that much fiercer if you add uh, Bell to the mix. It would be pretty impressive, and the Mets have already put together a pretty impressive first half, two-and-a-half game lead over the Braves heading into the All-Star break, and we talk about the Nationals as we saw them over the weekend, and the Braves took three out of four, but – over the last week and over the weekend, really, it started to pick up some steam where reports came from Ken Rosenthal, among others, that Juan Soto turned down a $440 million extension offer from the Nationals. But if you think about this with the Nationals and Soto, that kind of money, an unheard of level of money that very few, if any players in all of professional sports, have ever reached and attained. I mean, we're talking about what Mike Trout. At this point, and is there anybody else that's even remotely close to getting offered $440 million? Because if there is, (laughs) I can't think of them. So that paints a picture that Juan Soto may not be long for D.C., and that paints an even more interesting picture of the long-term signability for not only just him in, in Washington, but what he could command on the open market could be staggering. Yeah, he's got two more years of club control before he comes a free agent. I mean, you could say from the Nationals and no pressure to trade him right now. You've got him through 2024, but um, they're supposedly going to make one more offer, and that's going to be their final offer. But it, it's reported that it was heavily backloaded in this 15-year 440. That's an average annual value of 29.33. But again, it was going to be backloaded, which is, is really intriguing because the Nationals have a long track record of deferred money, yes. and there was no deferred money in this deal, reportedly. So, I mean, you know, there's been, it's also been said that, you know, he doesn't like the relatively low AAV. And, and, and obviously, there's uncertainty surrounding the ownership situation there with the Nationals. Maybe he just doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. But, I mean, this does create this scenario if you're the Nationals and you watch Bryce Harper walk away. Mm-hmm. You know, they had reportedly a deal in place with the Astros before they ended up, you know, holding off and, and you know, watching him end up walking away and going to the Phillies. So do you trade uh, Juan Soto, and at what point do you make this deal? And who, if, if you're the team that acquires him, do you pick him up knowing if it's this August, if it's the offseason, if it's next August, knowing that you may not be able to get a guy that is a Scott Boras client who mm-hmm. may want to go out there and test the open waters and see just how high that number could end up being? Now, it would not surprise anybody to see Scott Boras take that all the way out into free agency because if he can get $440 million from some club, Two years away from free agency, what in the world could you be getting? What would this picture look like in a couple of years? Because Juan Soto, you know, he has a resume that very few, if any other player, is going to be able to boast going out into free agency. But you hit another interesting question you and I were talking about getting ready for this show. And that's a question, a quandary, if you will, that some other clubs may be wondering or may have to ask themselves at some point. But the timetables don't exactly line up. Yes, Soto could get traded at any point. The Nationals could, in theory, maybe make an offer that entices him to stick around, though we've just laid out the reasons why not. But there's another superstar 
that could be hitting free agency even sooner. And that brings up, I think, a fascinating discussion. Yeah, I mean, Shohei Otani has, to, you know, he's he's an unrestricted free agent in 2024. So he's a year before uh, Juan Soto. But we know things have not obviously gone to plan uh, with the Angels. You know, I don't think that they can have two guys, you know, making north of $400 million on one team and feel like they can still build around them. They also have money, you know, in, uh, in uh, Anthony Rendon that's going nowhere. So if you're the Angels, do, do you hold on to Shohei Otani or do you move him while he still has value and another and a team could be in the same situation? And basically, if you've got in one hand Otani and in the other Soto, if you're a team looking to make a deal, let's say you're the Dodgers who seemingly are in on everybody. If the Mets who have the you know these these perceived you know bottomless pocketbooks with Steve yeah. Cohen, which one of these guys do you make the deal for? It's a fascinating question, and again, the timetables don't line up exactly, which would mean that I guess you'd have to make your decision sooner on Otani, assuming he goes to free agency, than you do on Soto because of the fact that they don't line up, but. Shohei Otani is doing things that nobody in the history of baseball has been able to do at the level in which he's doing it. He is a difference maker as a hitter. He is a difference maker on the mound. And I was looking at one of these, one of the most ridiculous stats that you can find for Otani and and some of the dominance that he's shown over the past week. He became the sixth pitcher in baseball to have 45 strikeouts and one earned run or fewer in a four-game span since the earned run became a stat in 1913. So we're talking about 109 years there. The others on this list, you might know these guys, Jacob deGrom, Randy Johnson, Clayton Kershaw did it twice, Pedro Martinez, and Chris Sale, who, if you've forgotten because he hasn't been healthy for the last couple of years, Chris Sale was an absolute dominator, and it's a big reason why the Red Sox went out and got him. But now think about Otani doing the things that those guys do, plus being a guy that's capable of hitting 40-plus home runs and affecting the game with his offense. That has got to tantalize clubs, because if the Angels can't retain him, there should be... At least two dozen teams. You can go ahead and take four or five and put them off the books because they're never going to even come close to having the discussion. But two dozen teams should ask themselves, what do we have to do to go out and get one of the most talented players on both sides of the ball in the history of ever and one of the most marketable players, I would imagine, in the history of ever in Major League Baseball? Uh, yes, and now you got 15 more because of the DH being in the National League who are seemingly in on this mix. That's so what I'm saying. Yeah, but yeah, you're absolutely. probably down to just a couple that would really be able to, to swing that. But – I mean, the Angels have to know at this point whether or not he's going to stay. I mean, because I think if you're if you're not, I mean, is this winter maybe the most optimum time to move him? I, I I'm not trying to, to to you know create this you know d- dissension here, but if you're giving me the chance between the two of these guys though, and I've got a 28 year old Shohei Otani, and I wonder because nobody's ever done this at this level, how long he can bo- do both things. And I have Soto, who I'm looking, you know, I I believe is the best hitter in all of baseball at 23 years old. I'm probably making the deal for Soto. I'm, that's who I would probably. But I'm also saying this: if I'm, you know, I'm obviously fantasy GMing myself here right now. But the fact that I may not be able to sign if sign Juan Soto to that 500 million dollar deal, he may end up signing. Yeah. Um, but to me, the the, the long range potential of a guy who's five years younger and it, look, the, the the Nationals do not have a very good offense, and he's still hitting 51 percent above league average with really only Josh Bell around him. And it's been kind of an off year for him in in terms of the batted ball stuff. But if you're asking me between the two, which one do I take? I think I would go for Otani and then try to do more and other things. I don't know that Shohei Otani is going to be able to get because of the age and another variety of other factors quite as much money as I think Soto could command as he gets out onto the free agent market because it's Scott Boris. 
again, if he can get $440 million in an offer from the club he's with now, think about what he could do in free agency when you only need to get one or two other clubs, as you mentioned, the clubs with the deepest pocketbooks to get involved in this and decide, well, we need this guy, A, and B, we don't want those other guys <laughs> to get him. And that's really all Scott Boris needs, and he's been quite good at getting big-time money for his clients, and I don't know if it'll get much bigger than what he could get for Juan Soto in the coming years if he does, in fact, hit free agency. So that was a pretty big story. I wanted to spend a little bit of time on that because you don't hear too often that there's an athlete in any sport that says, you know what, $440 million of guaranteed money is not quite enough for me. I'm going to take my chances elsewhere. Thank you very much. That is essentially what happened in this particular case. In the NL Central, we've got the Brewers and the Cardinals going head-to-head in the second half. Neither club has really been able to put it all together this year. They've had some ups and downs consistency-wise. We thought the Brewers pitching might be enough to really help them run away with this race again. The Cardinals have been scrappy, but they've also had a lot of trouble staying healthy and staying consistent as well. This is a race that I expect to come down to these two teams because there's nobody else in the division to really make much of a push in it. But it should be fascinating to see what one or both of those teams do around the trade deadline to try to make themselves a little bit better a couple of weeks from now. Because once the second half kicks off, Corey, on Friday, it's what, just a couple of weeks and a couple of days until you got to decide, hey, are we buyers or are we sellers? And if we are buyers, how much are we buying and how much can we afford to spend in prospects to get it? I'm not trying to paint a picture here that Josh Hader is falling to pieces because I think this guy's still one of the best. kind of bad lately. He has. I mean, I mean you think about – you know what he was, what he did against the Giants, who you know hit him three home runs off of him, um, including a Mike Yastrzemski, you know walk off grand slam. That was the first time in MLB history a team hit three homers in an inning, including a walk off grand slam. Um, it's it just I'm you know he's allowed runs in five of his past six appearances, twelve earned runs over four and the third innings. He's healthy, he says. He's not hurting, he says. Um, it's crazy alarming. Devin Williams is still there, though, so if they decide that they want to kind of you know, move things around a little bit. They could. Um, yeah, they could easily do that. And the Cardinals still Paul Goldschmidt. I think this is just going to be a really great race. I, I think the Cardinals need more pitching. I think the Brewers need a little bit more offense. How aggressive do the two of them get uh, with those two needs? Um, because you know those those I think are going to be the determining factors. Can the Cardinals get enough out of outside of like Miles Michaelis? Is Jack Flaherty going to be able to look like he did a couple of years ago? And can the Brewers do enough offensively? Because right now it, it's been okay, but it's not been a team that you can get too uh, too scared about when you think about the postseason. No, it has not. When you look at the Western Division, you got the Los Angeles Dodgers, first team to sixty wins in the NL. They're thirty games over five hundred as they won four in a row. Heading into the break, they've got a 10-game lead over the Padres, and the Padres have been a good club. They've got Fernando Tatis on the men, but, Corey, a position change could be part of the return plan for Fernando Tatis, couldn't it? Which is really interesting because you know they've been really bad in terms of uh, the outfielders. They've been a bottom 10 unit that their outfield has actually hit uh, 220 with just about 650 weighted uh, OPS right now. Um, when you, but when you look at the trade market, I mean, Andrew Benintendi could make a lot of sense for them. He's an impending free agent, Michael Taylor. Andrew Benintendi, by the way, I mean, this is going to be one of the hottest names on the trade market from the Royals. Uh, but how aggressive are teams going to be, especially in the AL East, when a guy who you know has was out for the Royals because of the yeah. vaccination stuff? That was a huge story. It, it was. Uh, but back to the the Padres um, with yeah with with Tatis. If your outfield's performing that poorly and you've got a guy coming back and you want to take stress off of him from a defensive standpoint and you want the bat. Maybe you throw Tatis in that outfield to make up for it because Michael Taylor, Ben Intendi, Ramon Laureano uh, from Oakland, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of options in terms of getting better 
uh, from an outfield standpoint, their best option may just be to take their superstar and move yeah. him out there. And look, we're not sitting here telling you that these are the moves that are going to help the Padres chase down the Dodgers. That just no. doesn't look like it's going to be something wild that's card. extremely possible. But in the wild card, as you look at it, Braves are six games up with the number one wild card spot right now as they're two and a half games back in the East. Padres have a two-game lead over the Phillies and the Cardinals, who are in a tie, a virtual tie, really, the percentage points and winning percentage uh, in the third spot. And then a half game out, you find the San Francisco Giants. So it should be an interesting race. you got the Mets, the Brewers, and the Dodgers leading in the East, West, and Central. And that concludes our look around the National League. When we come back, we will talk some more about Braves All-Stars, get you set up for that and the second half. It continues. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney from the Diamond. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game is the place. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios as we wrap things up on a Sunday night and wrap things up on the first half for the Atlanta Braves and the rest of baseball. The All-Star break is upon us beginning on Monday. Got the home run derby. Futures game already in the books. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of great young talent on play. And, of course, as you know, Corey, the center of all of the All-Star activities the celebrity softball game has also occurred, so checked a couple of boxes on our checklist for All-Star uh, weekend or All-Star break festivities, I guess, not really just a weekend. Also happening is the fact that the Major League Baseball draft has moved into the middle of the All-Star game festivities. I don't know that that was necessarily necessary because in June I thought it was just fine, but it's interesting to see some of the choices that have been made as we sit here on a Sunday night. Top three picks of the draft are already in, and you know, surprise, I would say, with the number three, but not such a big surprise for the first couple of picks in the draft, at least in my book. No, and I've seen a few of these guys uh, up close and personal. Jackson Holiday uh, from Stillwater, obviously the son of Matt Holiday, ends up going to the Orioles. Drew Jones, uh, we know his dad all too well, having patrolled uh, center field arguably better than anybody in uh, baseball history. Uh, and <laughs> yes. Andrew Jones going to the D-backs, and then Kumar Rocker. Uh, weirdly going to the Rangers at three. Of course, you remember Rocker got picked by the the Mets last year. Uh, there were signability issues. He ends up going back uh, to uh, into the draft. And then number four, Tamar Johnson, another Atlanta uh, area guy out of Mays High School, was committed to Arizona State, goes to the Pirates at four. So um, Atlanta heavy here uh, with Drew Jones and Tamar Johnson in the top four. And how about two second-generation stars or, or stars to be Going in the first two picks of the draft with Jackson Holiday, the son of Matt Holiday, and Drew Jones, the son of Drew Jones or Andrew Jones. So a lot of Drews here, but either way, a couple of really talented young players who are going to be, I guess, applying their wares in the professional ranks. And it should be pretty exciting to see that. I mean, think about what the Blue Jays have done with second generation guys and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., of course, being the biggest of those, but Bo Bichette and also Kevin Biggio, all those guys. Uh, making it happen up in Toronto to varying degrees, though none quite as good as the second coming of Vladdy. Let's talk about the uh, All-Star break and how it pertains to the Braves. They have six representatives out in Los Angeles for that. You've got Ronald Acuna Jr. You've got Dansby Swanson. Acuna will be the only one starting, but Swanson, as well as Travis Darno, William Contreras, and, of course, Austin Riley, who was added over the weekend, all plan to see action in that game, I'd imagine, with Brian Snitker at the helm. Max Fried, though, it was announced on Sunday he will not be active for the game. He pitched on Saturday, so the Braves not going to take any chances there in throwing him in that game. And a Major League Baseball, of course, has changed the rules leading up to the All-Star game so that pitchers don't necessarily feel obligated to go throw innings in an exhibition game after just throwing in the days leading up to the All-Star break. But a great honor for all of those guys, and it's going to be exciting to see what they're able to do and exciting to see a time in which the Braves you know, they won the World Series. It doesn't get any bigger than that. But sending this many guys to the All-Star game for the first time in almost, almost 20 years. It, yeah, it's the most they've had since 2010 uh, in terms of All-Stars here with six. Um, 
when when you win the World Series and there's this fan, you know, fest around you, it always gets to the point where people kind of get sick of you, and that's a good thing, right? I mean, if, if people <laughs> if if on if on Tuesday night during the All Star game, people on Twitter keep saying there are six Braves, Brian Snickers coaching this team. I am sick of the Braves. That's about the best thing you can hear right now because that means that you are causing problems for the rest of baseball there. And, um, you know, six guys and Cunha, more votes than anybody in the National League. Um, you know, and, and, again, we talked about how great Riley's been. Swanson's yeah. been fan. I mean, it, the, the, the Braves are getting served up on a platter for baseball on Tuesday. Yeah, and it's exciting. And this is part of winning the World Series. Not only is your manager getting to have the honor of you know, leading the league's all-star team, but you have a chance typically – to bring quite a few of your stars along, and the Braves have that opportunity again with Ronald Acuna Jr. getting the starting nod and the most votes of anybody in all of baseball. So it'll be fun to see what he does as well on Monday night as we talked about the home run derby a little bit earlier. We don't have to get deep into it here again, but I do feel like this is an opportunity for Ronald to maybe use a contest that's involved in lifting the ball and maybe make an adjustment to the launch angle, which doesn't seem to be where it needs to be for him right now. The hard hit contact's still there. Ronald stole 20 bases in the first half. He's still one of the most exciting players in baseball, but he's just a year removed from a major injury that has derailed careers prior. But I think this is an opportunity for him to maybe kickstart it offensively, and I hope to see that begin on Monday night with a huge showing from Ronald Acuna Jr. in the home run derby. The kind of friendly rivalry between him and Juan Soto is going to take center stage in this thing. You know, re- fun. regardless of whether Acuna can take down uh, uh, take down Pete Alonso, who he has the first round uh, matchup against, um, this this sets itself up for a chance for him on the on a, a very big stage uh, to get things right. Yeah, and it'll be nice to see. You know, obviously with Ronald getting a chance to be featured in that, I think it's, as you said earlier, he lives for those kind of big moments and to be showcased and being one of the most talented players in baseball, that in my book is what you want to be happening at the All-Star game. But let's talk a little bit about the first half. The Braves finished this thing up 18 games over 500. They had 56 wins in the books against their 38 losses. And as I said earlier, if I told you the Braves were going to be 18 games over at the All-Star break, I think Braves fans would take it. They have a very manageable deficit, two and a half games behind the New York Mets, and there are a lot of reasons why the Braves were able to turn a slow start into what ended up being a very good first half. And let's do this by talking about MVP in the first half. I'm going to throw out uh, my name for this one, and I don't think it's going to be much different than your name, but the candidates I kind of circled in red for this one, for MVP of the Braves in the first half, Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley with quite the push here toward the All-Star break, and of course, Max Fried, I think, has been one of the most valuable Braves. So who you got, Corey? Man, I, so I, I want to say Dansby Swanson, I, but I start looking at Austin Riley's numbers, and yes, he's .7 behind him in war, but he's got 12 more home runs. He's hitting 22% better uh, in terms of way to run create a plus than, than Dansby Swanson is at 152. Uh, but I do think it, it has to be Dansby Swanson because if you look at, at the, the key stretch for this team was from June on, uh, June 1st, excuse me, uh, during that 14-game winning streak, that run in which they just trimmed that lead from 10.5 to 1.5 uh, for the Mets. That A large part of that was Dansby Swanson. Uh, he you know he hit below league average in, in uh, 2021, and I kind of questioned if he was one of those guys that took advantage of the pandemic-shortened season, but he's pummeling fastballs and averages up nearly 75% uh, 75 points against that pitch, the hard hit rate, all that stuff's up. Yeah. Uh, to me, the, the real, real, real breakout of Dansby Swanson makes him my first half MVP. Yeah, you look inside the numbers or you just use the old-fashioned eye test, you see Dansby Swanson right there 
in the middle of everything good for the Braves since June the 1st. And this was shrugging off his own slow start, one in which, uh, trust me, my mentions were swimming in the Dansby Swanson can't be the starting shortstop for the Atlanta Braves because of how much he was striking out in the first two weeks of the season. But he was able to work his way through that and become one of the Braves' most valuable hitters and I think their most valuable player in the first half. Now Let's, let's uh, tweak this just a little bit. How about top hitter for the Braves in the first half? Because, again, you find Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley in that discussion. And I also think, especially with the late charge and just the pure number of extra base hits, you kind of have to look at Matt Olson in this regard, too. I will give some love to Matt Olson here. Uh, you know, again, uh, as I mentioned earlier, he's tied for third in the majors in extra base hits. Leading the league in doubles. Uh, leading the league in doubles. Uh, but he's been, you know, just a 1 8 war player. Um, I think you know the the defense of Dansby Swanson is why I, I also another reason why I had him ahead of Riley. But I think in terms of just hitter, just hitter. I mean, it's you, you got to give it to Riley. I mean, we're, we we were talking about him running down Andres Galarraga for the most home runs by a Braves in the mm-hmm. first half. Um, I wanted to throw his name into the home run derby mix there. <laughs> yeah. um, he's just been on an absolute tear. Um, it, to me, it's 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 Austin Riley has been this team's best hitter in the first half. Yeah, and has been the best hitter that the Braves have had leading into the All Star break as well, where they needed to play some of their best baseball to not just you know, try to run down the Mets and get close for a little while after a 14 game winning streak, but now the constant barrage and the constant assault they're going to have to have on first place to try to catch the Mets and eventually pass the Mets. Austin Riley is going to be a big feature player in that for me, and nine home runs here in the month of July and a 400-plus batting average, 13-game hitting streak into the All-Star break. I just don't know that anybody has hit better for the Atlanta Braves than Austin Riley. So once again, I'm shocked to know this, Corey, but we agree on that. (laughs) Now, top pitcher, I think, is a little bit more fascinating because you might just be inclined to say Max Fried's their All-Star. Max Fried has been the Braves' best pitcher, but I submit to you, Kyle Wright, I submit to you, Spencer Strider, who may not have finished the first half on the note that he wanted to, but has been an undeniable tour de force in the Braves' rotation. And if we're just looking at relievers, man, A.J. Minter's been the glue for this bullpen. So there's some pretty worthy candidates here. Where do you land on best pitcher for the Braves in the first half? Yeah, I mean, they've all been great. I mean, Freedom Ryder, the first Braves tandem to have double-digit wins in the first half since Tommy Hansen and Jire Jurgens in 2011. I so, I mean, that's... You know that's that's big time right there. Freed, yep. you know, as I mentioned, is an all star, and he will not pitch. But um, to me, the way he's carried the momentum of the second half of 2021, walking just around 1.76 mm-hmm. batters per nine, that's a career best uh, for the first time in his career. He struck out at least 10 batters on five different pitches. The slider uses, the changeup uses, those are at career highs. T- to me, he's become a different version. And I'm talking about a guy who threw a gem to wrap up a World Series, and yes. he's gotten better. He's gotten better than that. I think that's the thing that there's not any doubt. Like we, you questioned for a long time, who's going to be the guy that breaks out as the ace in this and this waves of pitching that the Braves have? There's no doubt anymore. This is Max Fried's rotation. Uh, that Max Fried's you know leading this pitching staff, and he was the Braves' best pitcher in the first half. This may be heresy, but I am going to give a slight edge to Kyle Wright Ooh. because he was a dark horse candidate to be in the rotation for so many different years. He broke camp with the team in 2019, but he came into 2022 with 14 career regular season starts and two career regular season wins. And you might look at me and say, and you might be saying uh, to yourself right now, listen to the radio, wins do not matter. It's not an important pitcher stat. And you're right. It's not really an important pitcher stat. But Kyle Wright winning at the level that he is is a reward for pitching the way that he's pitched and giving the Braves a glue piece in their rotation because Max Fried, by the time we get to the end of the year, I'm probably going to tell you Max Fried was the Braves pitcher of the year. But from kind of coming out of nowhere to being a reclamation project of his own design in AAA Gwinnett last year, reinventing himself, 
in order to try to cash in on, we talk about the draft happening on Sunday night, the Braves spent the number five overall pick on Kyle Wright at one point, and we were kind of wondering, was it going to develop into anything? And the, what's happened here in the year 2022 has me looking at him as my Braves pitcher of the first half. Now, let's look at biggest surprise of the year because Kyle Wright would fall under that category as well. But how about a couple of rookies? Because I think if we're looking at rookie of the year in the National League, you got to be looking at Michael Harris, who has been one of the most pleasant surprises I can remember. Right there with Spencer Strider, but also an all-star in his own right. How about William Contreras? I mean, this was a big deal for him because the Braves traded away Shea Langoliers to get Matt Olson, And you were thinking these two guys are the catchers of the future. Contreras is the guy that the Braves held on to. Shea Langoliers was the most valuable player, I believe, in the Futures game on Saturday. So uh, quite a quite a boon for William Contreras. Who do you take of, of that for, or do you have somebody else? I mean, those are all great surprises. But to me, the fact that you can take your number one and number two preseason prospects in Spencer Strider and Michael Harris II, bring them both up and have them both leading, uh, respectively, uh, all NL pitchers and all position players uh, in the NL in terms of Harris and War. The fact that they've hit on both of those shouldn't happen. This is like last year with all the trade acquisitions and the outfielders uh, all working out. I mean, the fact that Strider's striking out nearly 14 per nine, Harris hitting 26% above league average, he might end up being the first NL rookie to win a gold glove since Nolan Arenado in 2013. That is an absolute surprise to get it, not by just one guy, but two rookies rookies performing at this level. Yeah, I, th- I think it's absolutely tremendous. And since I went ahead and gave Kyle Wright my uh, my top pitcher of the first half for the Braves, I think I kind of have to look at Michael Harris because of the timetable. I didn't think that Michael Harris couldn't be up and maybe help the Braves out at some point in 2022, but I can't say I expected it to happen before we got outside of the month of May. But what he has offered the Braves in the field and at the plate and on the bases, the whole package there. I mean, Spencer Strider has done a similar deal for the Braves when it comes to what he's offered in rotation, but he was with the club on opening day. You expected that Spencer Strider could be an impact arm, whether he was a reliever or finally got a chance to start. But Michael Harris, to me, biggest surprise, and and a lot of it is, well, performance, I'm not totally shocked about, though youngest player in the big leagues doing the things he's doing, that you should definitely be impressed with. But just the timetable again, I'm going to give it to Michael Harris. So as we talk about this and wrap things up here for this edition of From the Diamond, let's take a brief look at the second half. It begins on Friday, two and a half games back of the Mets. Truist Park is the place. The Angels for a three-game series, Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Quickly, Corey, what are you looking forward to in the series, or did I just tell you the two names that you're probably looking most forward to? I hate bringing this up, but we never got to see Freddie Freeman against Mike Trout in uh, at Truist Park. We won't we be never, seeing it no, this weekend. No, either. we won't. But we get to see Mike. We get to see Mike Trout. Hopefully, he's back. You know, if this back issue he's having. But let's get Shohei Otani out there. Uh, I want to see him go against this Braves lineup. I am really looking forward to the opportunity to lay eyes to see Shohei Otani. I, I want to see him pitch. I want to see him hit. But I'll take one or the other, and I would assume we'll probably get to see both before that series is over. A lot of excitement can be wrapped up into that. And a lot of excitement for baseball fans this week. As the All-Star Game is upon us, the All-Star Break is upon us. Home Run Derby, Ronald Acuna Jr. will be there on Monday. All-Star Game happening Tuesday. That'll wrap us up here on From the Diamond. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you. We hope you have a great week. We'll catch you next week right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.